Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Adam. And I'm Jeremy. We're here today to discuss X-Men number 15, the December 1965 issue. Yeah, man. There's an awesome picture of the professor on here with a huge migraine. <laughs> so painful. Uh, for those of you who noticed, and the only reason that I noticed it was because it was in the letters section, this is no longer Marvel Pop Art, it is just Marvel Comics Group. And as I said, the professor's got a migraine, the Sentinels are beating up the X-Men, and Angel is... He's zooming around. He's not having much of this. And Marvel Girl lurks in the background. She's late to the party. As usual. Probably couldn't find anything to wear. I mean, she's just got a closet full of one uniform, yet it was still a hard decision. You know, those women. Either that or she just got out of the bathroom. (laughs) And so according to the bottom of this comic book, we also get regaled with the tale of the origin of the beast. which I am sure will be riveting. This episode is called The Prisoners of the Mysterious Master Mold. I wonder if uh, somebody at Marvel realized or figured out that origin issues were popular because now we're we're given the second X-Men's origin story. Yet all of their origins are kind of the same. (laughs) Yeah, troubled youth. Yeah. Uh, So as we left our last issue, the ground was raising up in front of the X-Men. And as we join our current issue, the ground is raising up below the X-Men. It's crazy. They must have moved forward. (laughs) They jumped onto the hill that was rising up, and uh, and now they're being tossed about. Although it doesn't look like they're on the hill, so apparently they didn't move. The ground has just moved underneath them, which will be explained later, I think so. I'm sure it will be. This this issue's a... Put together by Smilin' Stan Lee writer, Jolly Jack Kirby designer, Jovial J. Gavin Pinsler, Darlin' Dick Ayers Inker, and your favorite. The adorable Artie Simic, absolutely. I love that guy. <laughs> We're going to have to Google up a picture of Artie Simic, see if he exists somewhere. I bet you he's got a, his own page in Wikipedia. Sure. I'm sure, sure. he does. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Sam Rosen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the X-Men are toppled uh, every which way, and we move on to the next page where Angel goes to save the professor's life. The professor is saying, no, save yourself, people. Uh, then we get treated to a scene of the beast dodging rocks, and we're left to wonder, where are all of these rocks and things coming from? And what's happening? I don't understand. Is there an earthquake all of a sudden? Oh, oh, it'll be explained. I'm sure it will. Iceman <laughs> falls into a crevasse, jealous that he can't fly like his pal the angel, but instead he's satisfied that he can make himself a little ice bridge that he can hang on. Yeah, you'd think he would make it under his feet. <laughs> nope. Makes it under his <laughs> arm so he can hold on. It's a lot easier yeah. that way. <laughs> angel swoops the professor up to a safety uh, zone, tells the rest of the X-Men... You need to make it to high ground. Follow us. And as we see in the background, the whole horizon there is bubbling and burbling with some sort of activity. It's kind of like a Dr. Seuss background. It is. It's very Dr. Seussian. I expect to see a Lorax like, come on, guys, stop wrecking everything. We need <laughs> trufalas. Beast stops to offer Marvel Girl a hand to get him up, and she, she responds, 
I'm hardly a damsel in distress, jerk face. Finally, she sticks up for herself. <laughs> Women's lib yep. has officially hit the Marvel Universe. And she just levitates on out of there, yeah, boys. She, she shows him. Not only do I not need your help, but I can beat you to the top of this hill. <laughs> Iceman makes himself a little ice ladder, which looks more like a telephone pole, but I don't know how that thing is standing up without cracking over, but nonetheless, he's doing it. Very strange. Cyclops is blasting small hand-sized holes in a mountain. Reminiscent of Juggernaut's little handheld holes that he was carving out of the uh, mansion's basement a few issues ago. This doesn't seem like it's the greatest way to climb, but, you know. <laughs> Seems like it would take a lot of upper body strength to do this. But you'd think Jean could maybe extend some of her levitation. Come on, Cyclops. Yeah, once she gets to the top, she yeah. just levitate everybody else. It's not like there's a rush to get to the top or anything. I mean, <laughs> Sentinels aren't going anywhere. So finally they make it to the top. And we, we now learn what the nature of all of this crazy seismic activity has been. Yes, it's the mighty Nature Activator Ray. Finally. It's been two pages without mention of some sort of ray. I was getting a little worried. <laughs> yes, apparently the Sentinels have designed nature activating rays, and that's that's pretty serious machinery there, if you if you ask me. Apparently it uh causes the ground to wobble, some rocks to fly, and holes to be caused in the ground. However, if you're at the top of a cliff, you're okay. I guess they got out of range. Uh, oh, okay. Clearly. Yeah, we seem to have climbed out of the effective range. Uh, and they, they still need to learn what uh, the words master mold mean. So Yes, Professor X has randomly decided that that's the most important thing of all. He knows that it's the key to this whole adventure. Well, he's the professor, you know. So they concoct this goofy little plan to get over into the Sentinel Citadel. Is that what they call it? That's what I'm calling it. <laughs> I like the Sentinel Citadel. It kind of rolls off the tongue there. <laughs> the first part of the plan involves Iceman executing Plan G. I thought we were done with the various plan, uh, alpha numeric plans, but apparently not. Wasn't G one of the ones that we saw? I thought there was a like a G5 that was like a gravitate plan or something like that, but... Yeah, this is just straight-up Plan G. I think this is one of the professor's plans, where Cyclops has, like, 26,000 plans. <laughs> they both have, like, different playbooks, and the X-Men are like, ah, man, plan, professor's Plan G. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 we make a stupid-looking ice glider. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, G is for glider. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He couldn't just say, whip up that glider we've been talking about. you got to wonder, like, how many things do they actually have? How many contingencies do they actually have planned for? Because, I mean, this is yeah. pretty specific. It basically looks like, a, it looks like a woman's chest with oddly shaped breasts sticking straight up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the Iceman and the Beast grab onto those oddly shaped breasts. And yep. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, angel is going to fly. Cyclops is going to provide, provide the uh, motivator is what he says somewhere in there. The motive power. The motive power, yes. He's going to power it, I guess. He does so by laser blasting it, or the ground beneath it, I guess, so that it will ricochet, it'll glide off into the world. They go skipping across the mountain over into the Sentinel Citadel, and the angel flies after. Unfortunately, the glider is not very stable, and they start losing control. The angel swoops in to rescue them. It's not aerodynamic and symmetrical, so it starts wobbling crazily. 
I mean, come on. I'm not surprised. I mean, you got Beast on one side and Iceman on the other side. I mean, they clearly have not practiced playing G all that much. <laughs> clearly. But just as Angel's about to rescue them from falling to their doom, I suppose, some robotic arms, tentacles, tentacles reach out of the Citadel and grab both Beast and Iceman. Now, they seem pretty disappointed by this, but I, I thought that their whole goal was to get into the Sentinel Citadel. And here are these tentacles pulling them into the Sentinel Citadel. Well, they wanted to do it on their own terms. Gotcha. Gotcha. They lost control and now they're all upset. Yeah, they're prisoners now, so that's no good. So they get pulled in and the angel wants to follow after, but somehow, amazingly, a fire blast comes out of the same hole that Iceman and Beast went into. Yes, so I'm presuming that Beast and Iceman got pulled out of the way really quickly. (laughs) Or they're dead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, wait, no, they're not. No, we see them later on the page. Okay, fine. They didn't die. You heard it here first, folks. They're not dead. Iceman must have thrown up a quick ice shield around them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's the ticket. Uh, So the angel, he's disappointed, and he says he better go back and uh, do some thinking with the rest of the team while Iceman and the Beast get deposited into a big glass aquarium. It closes up over the top of them, and sleeping gas gets launched into it, knocking them both unconscious. Well, before that, he says, oh, there's glass covering us. Oh, my gosh, it's too late to stop it. And then Iceman's like, maybe we're going to be gift-wrapped and shipped to the Avengers. And then the Beast is like, that's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) To which I agree. I don't understand the reference point to that joke. Do the Sentinels have any sort of connection with the Avengers at this point? I don't know. Just a bit of dialogue that makes no sense whatsoever. There's there's no reference to anything. It's just you know generic Marvel humor. <laughs> All right. Everybody knows who the Avengers are. Sure, sure, sure. Yep. So as you said, they get uh, uh, knocked out with some sleeping gas, and uh, we flash to the Sentinel headquarters where the Sentinels are switching dials and flipping levers. Bolivar Trask stands there trying to tell them to stop what they're doing. That he created them to save mankind from mutants and that only the master mold can create additional sentinels. He reminds me in this comic book, and I don't think so much in the last one, but certainly in this issue of Charlton Heston in uh, Planet of the Apes. Oh, He's always shaking his fist and this is madness. And he's, uh, oh, it's just, you cannot do this. I don't know. It's just very, very dramatic flailing of arms like even in the uh, fourth panel of page seven both of his fists are in the air he doesn't look like charlton heston but just everything about his performance as it were in the comic book reminds me of him the sentinels grab bolivar and take him somewhere oh they're going to take him to master mold so that bolivar can help create more sentinels if master mold should wish that to be so what have i done what unthinkable menace have i unleashed i did it Damn me! Damn me all the hell! <laughs> oh, wait. He doesn't say that. Okay, so as they're taking Bolivar Trask, Sentinel-11 reveals that they want him to create more Sentinels. Enough to overrun all of the universe. I think that Sentinel-11 is a little grandiose. <laughs> no, he's the one that didn't quite get all of the circuits. <laughs> Yeah. So he just like misinterprets everything that Master Mold says. Master Mold's like, 
oh yeah, there's five X Men, and then Sentinel Eleven goes to the rest of the Sentinels. Like, there's like twenty eight X Men, so you guys got to be on high alert here. He's just the one that gets all of the information wrong. Really, Master Mold just wants to take over, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Times Square. <laughs> Maybe he wanted to take over Universal Studios. I gotta wonder, like, I wonder what the perception in the '60s was of the universe. Do you know what I mean? Like, by this time. Uh, have we gotten to the moon? We have not gotten to the moon yet, but we've been in space, right? I mean, timeline-wise, or I mean, realistically-wise. So I wonder what their uh, idea in the 60s was of the universe, and how could these sentinel robots really take over the universe? Like, what kind of flying contraption would they need? Maybe by this point, the Marvel Universe had established that there were other planets with other life forms on them. We saw scrolls in issue two of Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we already know there's a whole bunch of alien races sure. out there. All right, all right, all right, all right. So I think I think the universe must be a pretty old concept. Certainly, we we had our uh, solar system tracked out by now. Oh, sure, of course. But here's the other thing: they would only, I would think that they would only have the information that Bolivar Trask gave them. And the only information that Bolivar Trask would be able to give them would be information that he had or potentially some encyclopedias. I have to imagine that when the Fantastic Four or even the Avengers met up with the Skrulls or the Kree or whoever, they probably kept those chapters out of the encyclopedias, you know, for the uh, uh, benefit of mankind. So where did the Sentinels get the idea that there was more than just this planet? It depends on what ha- what's happening in all those other things. Uh, maybe, I mean, the whole world knows about Thor, so that's, like, pretty out there. They know about Thor, but do they know that he's from Asgard? I don't know, maybe. Or do they just think he's Billy Blake or whatever the heck his name is? I uh, don't know. All right. So we get uh, treated to our first glimpse of what or who is Master Mold, and it's a much, much, much larger sentinel. Sitting. Sitting. We had a, a size reference problem last issue, and in this issue so far, the uh, Sentinels have maintained a about double the size of a human being, so about 12 feet tall size. And so Mastermind, he, to me, in this perspective, looks like he's about four times that size. So he looks like he's about 48 feet tall. Master Mold. Master, oh, Master Mold, sorry. Big difference. He threatens Bolivar Trask with... Destroying half the nation if Bolivar does not help him. Bolivar Trask, Trask, I have summoned you to serve me. Though you have given me the power, I do not possess the knowledge to create other sentinels. You shall do it for me. The Master Mold has the power to create sentinels, but he doesn't know how to do it. That that could be a real problem. Uh, They've already captured some X-Men. He clearly lists uh, to us that he, he they are sentinels, they got no feelings, no emotions, and they're capable of anything. Oh, and Bolivar's kind of sticking up for the X-Men. He's like, oh, they'll, they'll get you, those X-Men. They'll find a way to destroy you. So all of a sudden, Bolivar, I mean, I guess Bolivar's seen the air of his ways pretty quickly here. Well, yeah, I mean, he's being dragged around the Sentinel Citadel. So then we cut to the mountain, the little plateau that, are we in New York or something, or where are we? The X-Men live in Westchester, which is, is north or, or something of the city. And it seems to me if they were doing like a television debate, the studio would probably be in the city. How far did they fly? How did they even get here? They flew here with... They drove. They drove, but Angel flew. They definitely flew over a body of water because that's where the... Uh, oh, wait. Oh, did they fly over a body of water? I don't know. There was a train involved. Where the hell are they? 
<laughs> I don't recall there being brown plateaus anywhere on that coast of our country. I don't recall a train. <laughs> you know, well, that's where Jean Grey kind of pulled Angel down and quickly changed into her outfit last issue. She was flying back to visit her parents. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm, they weren't following the Sentinels, though. No, she was. That was just good luck on her part that she happened to be by them. But I'm just saying, like. Those are all the areas that the X-Men have been in. I mean, how far away from the studio can they be? I don't know. I'm very hung up on this. I, I apologize. Okay, so they're on a <laughs> plateau in Central Park. <laughs> they're in Jersey. Ah, of course. Many plateaus in uh, Jersey? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Is the, uh, it is the plateau capital of the world. Gotcha. Okay, so... The professor... Well, they're trying to figure out what to do. So the professor, in, again, very questionable use of his powers attempts to blink out the minds of the sentinels that are shooting the nullifier or the the nature craziness weapons <laughs> the nature activators i like uh how uh the professor's like oh angel you did your best but too bad you're not made out of asbestos that really you know, <laughs> to the angel i'd be like what I'm glad i'm not made of asbestos what's wrong with you professor <laughs> oh they were stupid in the 60s that could be his mutant power. He's asbestos man. Everybody just gets cancer that <laughs> hangs out with him. Oh, dude, sorry about the lung cancer, man. Oh, it's my mutant power. What am I going to do? Maybe the professor in his many interviews with mutants to just develop the team met one that was made of asbestos. That could be. And quickly said, no, you're not a good fit for my school, buddy. <laughs> Actually, you could go sit up in the attic and help insulate. <laughs> Which is probably where he is now. <laughs> oh, guys, I want to go out on a mission. Why didn't we bring us bestest man on the mission? Damn it. <laughs> the one time we could have used him. So, yeah, the professor is, like you said, trying to mind wipe the mechanical robots, but he admits that he can't control mechanical minds, but he still has the ability to strike it with a bolt of pure mental energy, which I call shenanigans on. Seriously, what is that? <laughs> And why does it affect robots? Exactly. I can deal with the first part of this. Uh, what do you, He calls it a bolt of pure mental energy. So I imagine that being like an insane migraine, four times the size of the migraine that the professor has on this cover, shot into your head at a, at a very specific point in your brain that causes extreme pain. That makes sense to me in the world of mutants. But how that would have any effect on a robot doesn't work for me. He needs a lot of concentration to do it. Silence. Do not make a sound. Do not move a muscle. <laughs> yeah, this is him talking about blanking out their minds. He does. He he makes kind of a Spider-Man face there on page nine. There's the last panel. <laughs> he's all red with big lines. And, and what do you know? He's able to mind wipe the three sentinels that are manning the nature disruptors. He wasn't able to do that last issue. No, you'd think that he would have tried that earlier before all this chaos and two of his X-Men got captured. But, you know, a little late to the party, whatever. And here's where we learn that the Sentinels, who are manning the three guns in the side of the Sentinel Sentinel, are Sentinels A, B, and C. Yes, and they need to get back to their repel guns and rays. Here's where we get to the bureaucracy of being a sentinel. <laughs> uh, yes. Their ultimate downfall is that they run their operation like uh, like the federal government. <laughs> yeah. We need to man those guns, but we need to talk to section leader A first. So they can't do anything without talking to the section leader. Otherwise, they're violating their programmed instructions. 
I think that this was a uh, either a genius move on Bolivar Trask's to build in a level of self-destruction or just a huge oversight. I mean, these things <laughs> should be able to, A, autonomously think, or maybe not autonomously think, but have a hive nature to them so that when one falls, another one fills into his position. The three that the, that the professor knocked out were apparently the gunnery sp- specialists. They've apparently been training the Sentinels to use the guns. Only Sentinel A, B, and C. And Sentinel L and T here are just confused about what to do. They're not gunnery specialists. Yes, either another genius move or a blatant oversight on Bolivar's uh, to not just give them all the same ability. Although, you know, it is the 60s, and uh, there's only, I mean, let's think about computers here for a moment. I mean, there was a period where, you know, 64K was a lot of freaking memory, and uh, that was in the 80s. So this is the 60s. So we're looking at, you know, the power of maybe a couple of digits in a pocket calculator. So maybe, scientifically, he only had enough memory in the computer's memory chips to do gunnery, section leader, sit around and wonder what to do, robot, <laughs> like LNT here. Then we cut to Sentinels 1 through 4 plus 6. And they're dragging beasts. Beast. I was just, I, I, I got confused because I was trying to figure out how they were holding beasts' little bed there. Um, but I guess there's handles that we can't yeah. see. Apparently, the uh, numbered sentinels are the ones that transport prisoners, whereas the lettered ones deal with bureaucracy and guns. <laughs> they reach Master Mold. Place the, place subject, the subject under the mental psycho probe. Disobey me and I can be ordered to attack the nearest city of humans. Bolivar, of course, must obey. I swear Stan is just whipping out these crazy opti-ray psycho probe. <laughs> I like the psycho probe. That's a good one. <laughs> a mental psycho probe. <laughs> he turns it on Beast and he immediately starts talking about who he is and uh, Beast says that I am the Beast in slow, emotionless tones. I feel that this is a flaw, though. Nobody asks him a question. They just turn <laughs> the psycho ray on, and he starts spilling his guts. Now, if the machine is truly designed to just make the person underneath the psycho ray just to start spilling their guts, don't you think you'd start at the beginning? Yeah. Like, my name is Hank McCoy. I was born in a small hospital in Kentucky and blah, 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 and move all the way on through rather than starting with his mission and who he's with. And I don't know. Maybe the, the device is set up. State your name. State who you serve. <laughs> state your mission. Um, and then tell your origin. <laughs> so, all right. So he put that sort of programming into the psycho ray, but only made one guy able to run the opti ray. Okay. All right. The, the important part here is that Beast reveals that the X-Men's mission is to protect mankind from e- evil mutants, mm-hmm. which throws Bolivar for a loop. Mm-hmm. How wrong I was about them. They're protecting mankind. And then we move on to one of the goofiest flying pictures I've seen in a long time. Jean Grey is sitting on... Nothing. Uh, she looks She looks like she's riding a broomstick without the broom. She does look like she's, she's doing a witch impression with her telekinetic powers. Uh, Cyclops is riding the angel like a horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and uh, Angel's a strong dude. He's not even breaking a sweat there. So he's he's like, hey, this ain't bad. <laughs> oh, piggyback ride. So they get to a giant ray gun. More ray guns. Which Cyclops 
promptly blasts. They sneak through the hole in the citadel that that the gun was coming out of, and immediately discover the three inert sentinels. <laughs> sentinels A, B, and C, who were earlier taken out by the professor. And then they bump into another sentinel who doesn't know what to do. <laughs> More bureaucracy. I was not programmed to expect additional prisoners. Um, come with me. I must find instruction. So he goes off with the section leader. He doesn't really bind these guys or hold on to them or anything. He just says, follow me, and the X-Men do, which is a good plan on the X-Men's part. I mean, he's going to take them somewhere important, I'm sure. The Sentinels are silly. (laughs) They're not very bright. Meanwhile, the Beast is continuing to talk about his origin. Which is pretty much summed up in the second panel on page 13. Mm-hmm. My father was an ordinary laborer, an atomic project. I probably gained my power due to radiation, which affected him before I was born. I'll never know for sure. Origin solved. <laughs> yep. But and he goes on. <laughs> talks about his first discovery of his power and how he was kind of a beast-like looking. Because of my anthropoid physique. It must be like ape-like or something. Yeah, he doesn't really look that ape-like. So the bully in the scene here in the origin is going to punch the beast, but the beast hops around and everyone's like, you're crazy, but stand still. Basically, the kid says, I dare you to stand still. And then we get a caption, like most young boys, I couldn't resist a dare. (laughs) I dare you to let me punch you in the teeth. All right, fine, bring it. Ah, you punched me in my teeth. Told (laughs) you. But uh, yeah, so he gets punched out and he lands in front of a car and he does some crazy beast-like backflip, and uh, everyone is very afraid of him, I guess. Or so they make fun of him because he's different. One of the Sentinels, T, I'm not sure which one he is. Oh, he's one that can't make a decision for himself. Uh, <laughs> can I know what to do? The ray guns are not manned. And Sentinel's like, what the hell? <laughs> All right, let's get ready for battle. Sentinel section leader pr- figures out that there must be mutants on the thing on the on the premises, so. They must be found and destroyed. He takes a small group of numbered sentinels along with him. We're treated to an unnecessary bit of dialogue here. Follow me. Mutants are our natural enemies. They must be found and destroyed wherever they exist. We are also programmed. I mean, do they just walk around saying that every now and again so that they remember? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Not only that, but section leader does not solve the problem. <laughs> nope. <laughs> he says, follow me. Let, me. let me tell you our mission in case you didn't. So Sentinel T's like, but I came all this way for orders. <laughs> yeah, just follow me. You'll get your orders when I'm ready to give them to you. I need to go find Supreme Section Leader to get more orders. <laughs> and so the X-Men are still following Sentinel number 17. Which means there's 17 Sentinels plus A through T Sentinels. That's a lot of Sentinels. There are a lot of Sentinels in this place. They find Iceman imprisoned in his glass cubicle. And Cyclops makes the brilliant plan of we've got to get him out of there. <laughs> he goes in to do it himself, leaving Gene and Angel to fend against Sentinel-17. Iceman goes for a double punch against the Sentinel's face, which actually looks surprisingly, while it doesn't knock him over, looks surprisingly effective. And then he dis well, uh, Angel, not Iceman. And then he disappears for the next page. Well, I mean, he probably hurt his fist pretty bad on the Sentinel's face when he did that. <laughs> probably... So he goes to wash his hands or something. Yeah, he's like, oh, he's looking for some bandages somewhere. But Jean Grey, in, a, in an excellent display of power, knocks uh, 
the sentinel's feet from underneath him, and the sentinel lands on his face. Its face. Maybe he lands on Angel. Oh, that could be. I hope so. I hope he's dead. I hope the Sentinel gets up and there's just like a big angel blood splat with a couple of feathers. I hate that guy. Cyclops blasts a hole into the prison that is captured Iceman. Bobby's been gassed. He's got to have air as soon as possible. Not sure why as soon as possible, but okay. Eh, you know. The professor trains them in, in various uh, respiratory uh, um, detection. And, you know, Cyclops is looking at him saying, oh, Jesus. Based on his breathing rate, I don't like the rate. His, his heart rate's pretty low or something. So anyways, uh, Iceman gets up. He's regained consciousness. He's a little woozy. He doesn't know what happened to Beast. He wants everybody to clue him in on what's going on. And then Angel shows up again. Oh, so he didn't get splattered. It's a warning system. I flew back to tell you. I don't know. doesn't make any sense to me. But the whole fortress is on alert. Then we flash forward back to Master Mold's lair where... Where I can only imagine that Master Mold's dialogue is delivered something like this. And then you won a scholarship to college. Now continue your biography. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. I get it. Bolivar's like, what about the alarms? And and Master Mold, he's like, hey, man, don't you worry about it. This story is much more important than anything else that's going on in this place. (laughs) The Beast talks about how wonderful he was at football. But then on the football field, he reveals himself as a mutant by taking off his shoes and leaping for the goalpost. Yeah, he's excited. He won the, the, the big conference championship. I don't know. I got to wonder, like, this day and age, like, if some high school student won the high school conference championship game and then did this, would we ostracize the guy or would we be like, oh, my God? We would probably ostracize him. Oh. It's it's like, what if he won the football game and then revealed he outed himself as gay? I don't know. I think that would be a victory for gay rights. Be like, look, we're happy, can dress well, and play football. It would just make people angry. <laughs> people are silly. Yup. Well, anyways, if there's any mutants out there, or gay people for that matter, that want to go win the big conference football game, I will come and pu- uh, applaud your performance. Me too. All right. The professor retreated to a scene of him reading this newspaper article about some crazy, quote-unquote, beast fleeing the football field. He goes to visit the beast at his house with his parents, who actually know he's a mutant, which is different, and they're still proud of him. I don't think they know he's a mutant, but they know he's special. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. They know he's a freak, essentially. (laughs) But they don't really like that term. They prefer freak American. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, outside, the professor is listening into Beast's tale. Oh, and no. He is worried that the Beast is going to reveal too much about the professor's relationship to the X Men. Yeah, right now, this is another, prob- where, another point where I have a problem. Like, the professor has kind of been with the X Men the entire time. So, if there was, like, maybe a Sentinel flying sentry, he would report it back to Master Mobile and, like, hey, there's a crazy old bald guy outside. Should we take care of him, too? But there's not. So, so even the dialogue in Beast's little flashback says, and then a mysterious stranger came to visit me. So it's as if the storyteller is going out of his way to tell us that the Sentinels don't know who the professor is, even though the professor's been here the whole time. I find it far-fetched. It's a little silly that the professor is so concerned about his identity, but... Yeah, so anyways, he go, he projects himself astrally so that he can go help Hank out. 
which is always cool. Yeah. Masterbold reveals that we must, we must find, find that mutant leader my captain was mentioned. Find him and immediately destroy, destroy him. him. Immediately destroy him is what we must do. Yeah. Uh, at which point... The professor then uh, essentially mind wipes Beast. Not really mind wipes, I guess. He mind halts him. <laughs> mind halt. The Beast is over there like, I don't know how to breathe. I don't know how to talk. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I forgot everything. He's, act- he's actually not thinking that. That's actually what's happening. Master Mold's kind of like, Trath, Trath, why did he stop speaking? Now, see, the only problem I have here uh, is the word hideout. <laughs> I mean, the Master Mold seems to be probably a fairly intelligent robot. He's the master mind behind uh, all of the Sentinels. Master he Mold. Just, he's the master mind. He's, his name is Master Mold, but he's also the master mind behind all the Sentinels. Master Mold. Yes. <laughs> master Mind of the Sentinels, though. And uh, he is using words such as hideout. It just seems very uncharacteristic for a Master Mind of some sort. Master Mold. The Professor probes the mechanical brain of the Master Mold. Here's another bit of dialogue I don't care for. The uh, Master Mold says, A strange force. I can feel it scanning my thinking apparatus. <laughs> I've got a problem with my thinker. <laughs> or somebody's tinkering with my thinker. There is something here, a menacing presence. I sense it. I feel it. Robots can neither sense nor feel. He even say it earlier that they're uh, emotionless and uh, stuff and junk. So he detects that he's being mental probed, which, again, he's a robot, professor. My thing is that the professor should only be able to uh, interact and control or mind wipe or have some sort of effect over only organic minds. I do like the idea that if the professor is probing him or attempting to probe the robot, that the robot can detect that. Sure. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense. It's a robot, and he's like, he's the mastermind behind the uh, Sentinels, so he should have that power. Yeah. Master Mold. So he shoots out microelectric blasts from his fingertips, to which the professor is worried that if they come in contact with his astral form, he will not make it back to his body. Yeah, they do weaken him. and We leave the professor's astral form crawling on the ground trying to reach his physical form now this is something that we discussed way back in the submariner issue and i think i asked a question if the professor leaves his body is his body completely useless and i think you and i came to the conclusion that it would be and in this issue it's definitely confirmed that it is he says if i don't make it back to my body i will remain in a trance forever so that's kind of cool that's a little bit of realism i suppose in the good on us yeah 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 we're really good at this (laughs) (laughs) the group of sentinels that were searching for the x-men find the x-men show them to a quarter referencing some zeppelin (laughs) although no not yet never mind (laughs) so the Iceman he throws up a big old ice wall under direction of cyclops good plan that's why he's the leader presumably the section leader directs one of these sentinels sentinel t oh this is his programming Remember, Sentinel-T is the one that couldn't get back on the gun because he wasn't programmed to do so. He's apparently the one that's programmed to fire himself into ice walls using his boot propulsion (laughs) propulsion systems. Well, no wonder he's unable to uh, think things for himself. And you said that there was a lot of Sentinels, and they've got a lot of different tasks, and they're highly specialized, Adam. (laughs) 
Uh, we should also mention that Cyclops asks Angel to fly Jean to some place of safety, and she's like, what? screw you guys. That does come way out of left field. And she's like, not on your life. I am sick and tired of you jerks. <laughs> there was a time when I thought I loved you, Scott Summers, but now forget it. We're done. <laughs> Meanwhile, a Sentinel, Sentinel T, comes crashing through the ice. To which Angel responds, Zingo! <laughs> well, first Cyclops thwips him with his Opti-Ray. To which Angel responds, Zingo! <laughs> well, who doesn't exclaim, uh, exclaim Zingo? And if somehow someone could throw around the word Natch, it would be just a match made in heaven. Yeah, Natch. Natch. The Sentinel is laid out. The X-Men run away. But what could have maybe done from the very get-go... I have to imagine that this is Sentinel G. Yeah, probably. I was thinking the same thing. Activates the heavy gravity ray, which apparently only he is trained on, uh, and the <laughs> X-Men come tumbling down to the ground. Presumably frozen to the ground. It's gravity times three, so the X-Men can't move. They're stuck. And the Master Mold points at Bolivar and says... Now that we've defeated the X-Men, I need a thousand Sentinels, and you will help me make them. See, I don't fully follow this logic. He pro do you think they really need a thousand Sentinels? Hey, if you can, you might as well. Yes. They should try <laughs> to take over the world with what they got. There's a Sentinel named Sentinel-3D in this panel. Oh, yes. I wonder if somebody was trying to be funny or if, he, if there's various models that we've forgotten about. So, like, maybe there's... Uh, a through T, as we discussed, but each A through T has four models. And then all of the number ones, one through nine, have a corresponding letter. So that means there's already over 100 Sentinels. <laughs> they could probably take over the world. On the last panel, uh, Bolivar Trask is saying that he doesn't want to. So it's the last panel of the page, and I can only assume that the Sentinels are going to rip his arms off of his body. <laughs> that's yep. what looks like is going to happen. Sentinel-8 grabs one arm, Sentinel-3D grabs the other, and they yeah, they look like they're about to rip him apart. Maybe Master Mold's going to kick him right in the middle and just, like, punt his body off of his arms. <laughs> that would make an awesome panel. Which would be awesome. <laughs> All right, and that ends this particular issue, setting us up for the final act in this wonderful trilogy. Yeah, this is a three-parter. The first three-parter of the series. So the issue draws uh, to a close with some letters. And I don't know about you, but there was one letter in particular that struck my fancy. Do you want to read it? I do. So this one says, Dear Stan, what are Wanda's and Pietro's last name? Why doesn't Spider-Man's web stick to him? How old is Reed Richards? Since the X-Men have graduated from Professor X's school, why don't their parents take them home? In Thor number 113, Odin said Thor could choose whether or not to marry Jane Foster. So what's holding him up? In the old days, you published stories of the Submariner at the same time as Captain America. Why isn't Subby getting old? How do you pronounce Odin? Since the Torch is the same age as Peter Parker, why didn't Torchy graduate too? Where does Matt Murdock hide his mask with all those electric gizmos inside? When is Jack Kirby ever going to ink his own work? How will you survive after all of these questions? <laughs> that was a wonderful letter sent in by Joe Rusketta Jr. from Western Springs, Illinois. And I, it just, it warms my heart to know that comic book fans after 50 years have not changed a bit. What's fascinating is that he's actually taking over writing Uncanny X-Men this month. Joe Rusketta? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> he finally made it. 
Yeah. You're kidding, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and then, so the Marvel response, I don't know who's writing the uh, responses, just basically takes a cop out and says, eh, you just have to keep reading. Yeah. Which is also a typical Marvel response. And so there was also, uh, in the letter section, a lot of praise for the juggernaut, some uh, pleased to have the Magneto come back. There was another guy who wrote a letter naming uh, all of the super villains that were in the alphabet and was a little upset that Quicksilver was changed from a villain to a hero because now he has no supervillain that starts with Q. And there's someone that uses Darwin and DeVries to say that this book could not actually happen. Uh, yeah, I'm finding actually the letters section to these comic books more and more entertaining. So if you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have recording it, you should write in to us at www.redcatproductions.com forward slash danger room or danger room at redcatproductions.com is the email address. Or if you want to uh, go to iTunes and fill out an iTunes review, we are we are definitely taking some positive reviews. And hey, you know what? If If you write a review of our podcast <clears throat> excuse me on itunes we will read your name on our podcast and nobody could ask for more than that no they couldn't you can also visit us at our facebook page which is facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast which there are 30 active members of not even all of them are my friends <laughs> there are some strangers on the list so <laughs> Whoever you strangers are, you should speak up now and let us know what you think and tell us if you're telling your friends about us. You should tell your friends about us and your parents and your pets and your car. Because if we don't get feedback or some sort of communique, we may not be able to finish out this jaw-dropping trilogy of a story. (laughs) Yeah, we just won't be able to do it. (laughs) We just won't be able to continue. All right. My motivation is running so low, Jeremy. (laughs) Yes, mine too, folks. Only we had something to help us push over the hill. Yeah, if you can't earn your critique, you might as well try to guilt trip people into it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, anyways, there you go. So part two of our three-part Sentinel extravaganza is coming to a close. Oh, it's downright closed, and I can't wait for the next issue. I cannot either. Until next time, the danger room is closed. Danger!